You're listening to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast, episode 54, hosted by me, Robert Plopkin. Today, I'm really glad to be speaking with Don Weibel from Talk More, Tech Less, an organization that's committed to the deeper work of communication through courses and products to talk more in a digital age. You can find out more about Don at talkmoretechless.com. I'm extremely pleased to welcome Don Weibel to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. In the interview that you're about to hear with Dawn Weibel, you'll hear her talk about a whole bunch of ways in which you can reintroduce face-to-face, non-tech communication into your life with your family and friends and your community more generally. And we didn't even get to talk about her detox box, which helps people to keep their phones away during a meal and other times of personal connection. And in this tip uh, today, I'd like to suggest that you find your own ways to do digital detoxes. And the main point I'd like to make is a digital detox doesn't have to be a big deal. It doesn't have to be a formal time, doesn't have to be a day long or a weekend long or even an evening You can find small opportunities during your day to do little detoxes. Actually, after I record this segment, I'm about to head out for a short walk. It's a beautiful day out there. And you know what? It would be easy for me to just, out of habit, take my phone with me, stick it in my pocket, right? That's the easy thing to do. But if I pause for a minute and ask myself, do I really need to have my phone on me? The answer is no. I'm going for a walk to stretch my legs. There is that part of me in the back of my mind that says, what if someone tries to reach me? What if they won't be able to reach me? But you know what? At this moment, that's not really a good enough reason for me to keep the phone with me. I'm going to be gone for about 10 or 15 minutes. If someone can't reach me, it'll probably be eight minutes later that I'll see the message from them. And, you know, the risk in my mind of someone not being able to reach me is far outweighed by the benefit I'll get of being phone free for 10 or 15 minutes. So that's my suggestion for you, which is think about ways in which you can introduce even small little mini detoxes into your day whenever you can. It may not be the same time or place every day. And you do this by pausing, very easy to pause when you're about to change locations or change activities, to pause before you pick up that phone or put it in your pocket and take it with you or your laptop or whatever your device is and just ask yourself, do I really need this right now? And hmm, how would it feel to not have the device with me during this next activity or when I go to this next place? And you know what? If you feel nervous, which you may feel about then not having the device with you, pick a time that will be short and just plan to experience that nervousness or anxiety for that short period of time. And you may find that the anxiety is tolerable and that you also get some positive feeling that you weren't expecting when you were so focused on the anxiety. You may get some good feeling of relief or release or calmness by not having that device with you. And in this way, you can organically introduce little detoxes into your day. That's my suggestion, and I really think you're going to enjoy this upcoming interview with Don Weibel. He'll tell you about how to talk more and tech less. 
Hi, Dawn, and welcome to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me on. It's really great to have you. Here we are talking to each other over some great distance, and we're here to talk about your work on talking more tech less and other work that you're doing. Could you introduce people a little bit to that work and what the motivation is behind this concept of talk more tech less? So I'm a mom of three boys, three young boys, actually. My oldest is 12 and my youngest is six. My husband has an outdoor mentorship program. And how we just kind of all got started is we've been working with teenagers and um, youth age students since before all of the digital media really showed up on the scene. I mean, we had no iPhones present and all kinds of ways that we were interacting physically. And then digital media and iPhones came on the scene. We've been working with students for over 20 years now. Mm-hmm. And how old are your kids? Well, my oldest is 12 and I have a 10 year old and a six year old. So they're all young. They're all young. Mm-hmm. And then working with teenagers, we just saw this interaction happening with technology and in our own lives when we got our own technology, our own, I remember getting my first BlackBerry phone Mm -hmm. and just starting to see the shift happen. And so we started an organization called Talk More Tech Less and we run Talk More Meals as well. And we really promote what it looks like to prioritize our relationships in our lives over our technology, even though our technology is well used and all my family has technology. My oldest son just got his first Xbox and my youngest son plays games on our old phones. So we definitely have technology in our lives. We're just learning what it looks like to prioritize our relationships, I think, like everybody else right now. Yeah, tell me a little bit about maybe some uh, specific examples of what that might look like in your in your daily life. I mean, I know most, if not all, people these days are struggling with the feeling of things being imbalanced. I really like the title "Talk More Tech Less" because it's it's not talk only, no tech ever, right? <laughs> right? It's about striking a new kind of balance. What What are some examples of what a a more balanced and perhaps more healthy life with your family or friends or in other relationships? What does that look like? Yeah, and we strategically chose that name because. That is exactly what we're doing. I mean, technology is a huge part of my life for work. We have social media, Instagram that we do. My favorite app is the our grocery app where we get to go pick up our mm-hmm. groceries curbside. <laughs> so it may, definitely makes our lives easier. Uh, but what it looks like for me is really not allowing it to... We use one of the terms, actually Gretchen Rubin claimed this term, and it is when technology becomes our master rather than our servant, you know, Mm -hmm. when it it goes from being a tool and enhancing our life to being something that takes over our lives. And I'll notice moments in my life when my relationships are a little off kilter. When my husband and I are on our phones a little too much before bedtime, rather than really kind of decompressing about the day and talking through, you know, how our day went. I will notice those moments and realize, okay, I think my technology right now is mastering me. I'm on Mm -hmm. this too much, or I'm noticing my kids are going to this app too much. And what does that look like for us? And so really specifically what it looks like for my family is I do a two-hour limit for my kids on technology. So if that means they want to play games, watch a movie, 
we do a two-hour limit. And a lot of the research and studies that we've looked at have said once two hours has passed, it starts to get into where it is um, altering, you know, some of the, the neuroscience that is coming out and all of the dependency and the addiction on technology is after that two-hour limit, it's starting to become where it can even reform, you know, the brain and the way mm-hmm. that our kids' brains are developing, the way that our brains are developing. And and that starts to interfere with our relationship and with our own just wellness. So we do a two-hour cap on that. It's interesting. You know, you've mentioned what I hear is so far at least two different strategies. I'm a big believer in many strategies and there being kind of no silver bullet or no no one shred. The first, the, of course, uh, because this podcast is about technology and mindfulness, you mentioned the word notice a few times, you know, which hits my ears because mm-hmm. mindfulness is about noticing. You said you, right. you, you notice when it feels like the technology is controlling you or being your master. And, you know, that strikes me as a really uh, wise way of going about things that in that sense, it's not necessarily about there being a hard and fast rule, but about paying attention to how the experience feels to you and using that to draw your attention to whether you should make a change. For example, right now, I'm talking to you. I put all my other devices away. I'll Mm -hmm. tell you, I have some notes in front of me, but I'm not looking at them at the moment. And I'm talking to you remotely. And I feel like Often these podcast interviews help me focus on communicating with the person I'm speaking to. There's lots of other interactions I have with people where technology can give me that feeling that it's controlling me. And so what's my guide? How does it feel to me? And how does it feel to the the other person? Do you also, though, mention just a rule, two hours, you know, and I've I've done that in my own life as well, is, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes it's just easier. It takes less brain power. Yes. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, and with a family or other group, it's easier, too, when you have a shared set of understandings about what the limits are. I mean, can you talk about maybe these different ways, maybe there's other ways you use and you know how you fit these into a holistic way of living? Yes. And I think that's great that you pointed out that I said the word notice. I didn't even realize that. But our first, we have a 30-day program that you can go through that's not uh, 30 days away from your phone. It's kind of just a 30-day journey of how mm. to better prioritize your relationship with your technology. And the first step we do is awareness. And because there is kind of an awakening to, and I think that that's one of the things that screen time, when Google introduced screen time and, uh, or the iPhones introduced screen time onto our phones and we could actually see the hour of amount of hours we were on. That's an awakening. It's an awareness to, wow, I was really on for six hours. And what did I Mm -hmm. do in those six hours? And you can go into that and look at all the different places you spent on that, that is the first step to really any kind of transformation or change is that awareness and that awakening and not in a judgmental way, but really in a noticing like a, a wake up call to say, okay, I, I do need to not have my phone in the bedroom tonight. I, you know, my husband and I do need to kind of just go through our schedule or go through, you know, some things that have happened that being aware is, is huge. And then the second thing that you said is, you know, having the hard line, the two hour rule is so helpful mm-hmm. with kids because mm-hmm. they need boundaries and to be able to have some kind of, um, a lot of the apps or games that they're on there, there is no self-awareness on that. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, mm-hmm. It's just hard for them to turn it off. And so for you to have a timer to give them a 10 minute warning, 
Um, even a two-minute warning is really helpful. We work with a lot of families that have dealt with gaming issues with their kids. And, and I'll say it myself too. My son was introduced to Fortnite this last year. And mm-hmm. it's one of those games that they have strategically designed it to keep you in it, to keep you mm-hmm. on there as long as you can be on there. And we've had to tell them, sorry, soccer games aren't on Fortnite schedule. We got to go right now. <laughs> we can't, mm-hmm. you know, we can't wait till the level's over till, you know, you die or whatever. And so those kind of two minute warnings, a 10 minute warning, a two minute warning before they need to get off is really helpful with that um, attention and, you know, their connection, their brain connection to whatever app they're in or what they're on. They're on social media. You have older kids, you know, give them that heads up. And then the other thing that we really are strategic about in our house is not having phones at bedtime, Mm -hmm. the melatonin levels, the sleep health that we see with students and schools that we um, go in and talk with. It's off the charts right now. It's a huge health crisis. Students that are up in the middle of the night on Twitter, on Instagram, on Snapchat, or just gaming all hours of the night and not sleeping. And so that's a big one for my house. We do no technology an hour before bed and just let those melatonin levels <laughs> settle in mm-hmm. and have okay. them get, you know, a good night's sleep. And then mealtime is huge for us. And I can talk more about that. That's where Talk More Meals came from and just not having technology at meals. So why don't you talk a bit about that, the technology at meals? Because, I mean, I see it. I experience it. I mean, I personally don't have my phone at meals, but I actually find it, hey, I don't mean to be hyperbolic to say tragic to, right. to experience uh, phones at meals, but that's a time when uh, I've always felt like it's a very connecting time to be with friends, family, uh, sitting down to eat, whether it's a you know formal dining room or just anywhere, it doesn't matter uh, right. for people to be on their phones and not present, whether it is with another person who's somewhere far away or on a video game or or something else. Could you talk about maybe what you've done in your own family, in the programs that you run for other people, what kind of changes, positive changes it's resulted in? And then I always like to go into what are the challenges people should expect to face? We know none of these things are necessarily easy to do and people should expect there to be some challenges in implementing them. Yeah, I think that's great. I mean, Sitting down for a meal with people in our lives or even strangers is so historical to who we are as humans. I mean, we've always communed together and it's one of the biggest points of connection. Our bodies are being fueled. We, our bodies need food and need people. When we first started Talk More Meals, it kind of started really funny. I love food and I'm a foodie and I'm a cook. And so I was cooking for some friends and word got out (laughs) and they were like, Hey, can you cook for my family too? Cause we're so busy and we're so tired of fast food. And we see your food on your Instagram page and you really like to cook and word just got out and I started cooking and then we turned it into joining it with talk more tech less because all of the research that I was coming across was about how mealtimes are missing in our culture, even you know, just a breakfast before we all head out to work in school. Mm. I mean, that's, it's all um, on the go. And it's so easy and so convenient to be able to drive through somewhere and grab something and shove it in our face in the car. But we're missing those moments of really sitting at a table, even having some of the awkward silence. You know, you talked about some of the challenges you come across. We had a couple parents 
that said, okay, so we put our phones down and our kids didn't know what to say. So <laughs> we have talking points on our meals. So we have a ready, ready-made meals. We only do this local here in Waco, Texas, but we have already ready prepared meals and on the meals are talking points. And so some people laugh about that, but it really just gives you an avenue, you know, a starting point as some of them are funny and light and some of them are a little deeper it just gives you that moment, kind of that launching point to say, you know, this is important. This food is good. It's fueling our body. We're here with people we love and want to connect with. And it's kind of providing that space again, that's been missing in our culture. Yeah, it's really amazing. I mean, uh, in the work I've been doing, I keep coming across more and more people like you, who in various realms of our life are reintroducing people to skills and just ways of interacting that have been with people through all of human history, right? but that have not entirely, but largely disappeared in the course of less than a generation, it seems, and and now have to be retaught, repracticed, relearned. And when you said it may feel awkward to people, that is the truth. It may feel awkward to have to learn how to talk to each other at a meal, but I'd hope we'd encourage people to move through the awkwardness. And it's another aspect of mindfulness. You learn to be bored and irritated and angry and sad and try to move through it instead of away from it. And away from it in this case might mean going to pick up your phone again because you're feeling awkward because of the silence. You know, that would be an an aversive way of of dealing with it. And see, instead, if you I'm talking to people who might be thinking about signing up for Talk More Meals or just doing this in some way uh, on their own, you know, prepare to feel awkward. Uh, just prepare. (laughs) It's not the end of the world. Right. I remember sitting with my grandmother who's now passed, but she would just be so comfortable with sitting silently. And Mm -hmm. we, you know, creative conversation would pop up and happen. And I heard the most amazing stories I couldn't believe really happened to a human being. But it was all because (laughs) we had that space. We had that silence and that space. And you're right. It is a part of mindfulness to have to kind of push through that silent awkwardness and experience it. And eventually it's not awkward anymore. It's valuable. I did a short segment on the podcast once as an intro, which included 30 seconds of silence. It was an experiment. One, for me, to experience the awkwardness as the podcaster of sitting yes. and not speaking <laughs> and to, to face my own fear of will people turn, tune out right. in the middle of, and to see, I don't, you know, if, if people listening felt that awkwardness and felt the, the urge, right, to switch to listen to something else instead of yes. sit through the silence. You know, it is something that's developed in our culture, I think, when there's constantly some other stimulus available. It's so easy to turn to it. And we've sort of lost the skill of being able to to tolerate and even move into silence. I, mean, I, I loved your example that, yes, yeah, sometimes there's silence in a conversation and it gives one or more people opportunity to get in touch with some new thought or feeling. Maybe it goes unspoken for a while and then they raise it in conversation. But when there's no silence, there's no opportunity for those kinds of moments. Exactly. And I like how you brought up the term boredom. When we speak in schools, some of, we talk about boredom and how important it is to imagination, creativity. I'll speak with third graders and I'll have them just raise their hands. You know, raise your hand. 
how many of you are told by grandma or your parents, go outside and play. Mm. And there's no structured play. This isn't soccer practice that we're going to. This is just go outside and play. And I cannot tell you, I mean, there are probably a fourth of the room raises their hand. Mm. And the kids are saying, we're not told to go outside. It's dangerous mm-hmm. outside or it's too hot or, you know, there's so much more fun things to do inside my house. Right. And I just know that, that that link of the creativity and the imagination is missing. Six to seven minutes a day is the average time a child is outside in America today. Six to seven minutes a day. Do you find that these third graders either say to you or do you get any sense from them that even though they haven't had the experience of being told to go out to play, that they they feel or know in some way that there's something missing in that? Yes, it's really an interesting moment in our talk because we talk, we kind of go into what unplug, we use the term unplugging, what, what unplugging looks like, what taking time away from our technology looks like. So we'll brainstorm ideas. I'll write, I'll ask them, you know, raise your hand if you can tell me if you did go outside or for those of you that did raise your hand, what are some things that you do when you go outside? And they'll start just saying, well, I have a pond in the back of my yard and I go, you know, skip rocks or I try to fish. And another one will say, I just learned to ride my bike last week. And I mean, this is third grade. And, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, I just learned to ride my bike last week. So I would go on a bike ride. And then a couple other ones, you know, talk about going for a walk. But you can see that they, there is a desire there. And at the end of the last one that we did, it was kind of in a rural area outside of Waco. And they said the administration came up to me after, and it was a day or two later, I went back up there and they said, the kids have not stopped talking about the talk. And they are all talking about what they're going to do after school outside. And they said, we, it's crazy <laughs> that we haven't heard them talk about these kinds of things, but we haven't. And it's just wild. Yeah, it's kind of amazing. I mean, I think we often talk about young people, whether third graders, teenagers, talk about them as if because they grew up with the technology and they are often very facile with it and they, they like using it and maybe use it too much, that somehow they don't know any better. But I know that a lot of young people, as much as they're drawn to it, do have some sense of unease with it and a desire yeah. To interact with it a different way. And that's why it seems so great to me. You're, you're helping to reintroduce some, some ways to people to learn how to be different. Even if they, they don't know what those ways could be, they have a feeling that something could be different. Yeah. And, you know, I was born in 1977. So I really almost feel a responsibility to learn from both generations before me and mm-hmm. generations that are coming up. You know, whether it's learning how to use technology responsibly or, hey, can you show me how to do this on Instagram? You know, connecting with kids in that way, but also teaching them what childhood was like for me, what childhood Mm. was like for their grandmother and not to miss out on those moments between both of our generations. Because I think that that's such a humble way for us to grow and move forward in this age rather than being so scared of it. Um, We can be very fear driven about technology and what it's doing to kids these days. (laughs) But I think Mm -hmm. if we take a more humble approach and and learn from them and don't get too lazy in teaching them, 
what they can learn from us about childhood in a positive way, not in a shaming way where we would shame them. We used to go outside and right, snow. right, right. Yeah. It's probably just about as much uh, about the attitude that you bring to it as what it is that you're you're teaching them. I would guess. Yeah. I yeah. Is. I mean, so what what are you mentioned riding bike, going outside to play? What what are some examples of things uh, that you did when you were growing up that you teach to younger people now that they aren't experiencing? Yeah. So I think anything that can incorporate their five senses is huge. So we, we even talk about, I know not everybody has a swimming pool, but you can use water. We live in Texas. <laughs> so a lot <laughs> of things about not going outside is how hot it is. So using the water hose to, you know, get, get a slip and slide or, you know, go run in the sprinkler. I think bike riding is huge. We talked to principal from a local Montessori school, which Montessori school is very hands-on. He was saying it's amazing in the last seven, eight, nine years, we're seeing pre-K, kindergarten, first graders come in without motor skills to even hold a pencil. Wow. And I think going out and teaching a kid how to make soup out of sticks and leaves creates motor mm-hmm. skills. You know? mm-hmm. And just the most simple things you wouldn't think you'd have to talk about, but it does still give them that creativity. And then once they have the space and they... A lot of times I tell a lot of parents, they will oppose it. They will bring opposition to your suggestions of going Mm -hmm. outside and getting off of, especially if they're on technology, you know, these apps are bringing all the creativity to them rather Mm -hmm. than allowing them to use their own creativity. And so push through that resistance and just give them the space and you'll be amazed at what they will come up with and the way mm. that they will create and use their bodies and use their minds. Um, I mean, I'm seeing it with my own six-year-old. He'll throw the biggest fit about having to get off Super Mario. But if I give in to him, he would stay on it. Mm-hmm. And if I say, let's go do this, let's go do this and guide them in that way, 10 minutes later, I'm watching this amazing Lego creation or mm. this amazing <laughs> drawing or Play-Doh art, you know, it's like, it doesn't take long for them to realize and awaken those senses. So yeah, anything using the five senses and getting those motor skills going, I think is really important for them. Also, I think one of the things you just mentioned is a good reminder or encouragement to parents to expect some pushback and know that sometimes if you push through maybe your own resistance to nudging your child in the right direction and understand that they might be upset with you temporarily, you know, that you come out the other end of that and it could be a really healthy, positive outcome instead of caving in and then letting them continue to use the phone or play the game or do something else. It might be that they actually surprise you, end up enjoying themselves and learning a lot in a different way. If you can push, push through your own reaction to your child's initial reaction. Right. And it's always going to be possible. You may feel like they're too far gone. They're on Fortnite for nine hours a day. They're, you know, too addicted, but it's always possible. And it does take time. It does take time, but it, it's a beautiful thing when you do push through. I know you mentioned to me um, before we started the interview about your smartphone, Ed, 
program. I wonder yes. if you could tell us about, I really like that you, you call the driver's ed for smartphones. I remember driver's ed for myself oh, long, yeah. <laughs> long before there was smartphones. <laughs> well, it's true. I mean, we say, we use the example all the time. It's like saying, you know, handing a kid a phone and then saying, okay, here you go. You got your first phone, you're 13 or whatever, you know, you're 10 however old and not giving any kind of guidelines, directions. I mean, you're just, you're handing them the world. They have access to anything and everything on there. And so our smartphone ed is a 30 minute course. It's really a film, a video that you can view with family, friends. We've had a few people buy it and they viewed it with their small groups or with their neighborhood because a lot of their kids were all around the same age. They kind of made it a group thing. And you get to hear interviews from different families that are going through the same thing we're all going through. You know, my 10-year-old wants a phone. All his friends have a phone. I'm scared of what's out there. I've heard and read all the articles of what they could come across or what, you know, pedophiles are out to get them or whatever. It's really just giving some real clear guidelines on what you can do on the phone, on the actual devices, and then what kind of conversations you can have with your kids. But the other aspect of it that I love is there's interviews with kids that are a little bit older than their age. So young adults, college age, talking about, we kind of did just this raw interview and let the camera go and just got to really hear the hearts of these people that have been in social media, been on social media, had phones for quite a few years and the importance of what they say to not let it take over your life. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's a great way for kids to kind of see. And like I said, not in a fearful way, but in a way that is wise, you know, in the decisions that they're going to make on their phone and how it's going to affect them in the future. And then we also have a contract that they can sign with the parents, just talking about modeling and getting gaining trust on your devices. So it's really practical way to launch into getting their first phones. So Don, you said in this smartphone ed program that part of it includes young people talking about some of their own maybe uh, difficult or negative experiences with technology that they've grown from. Could you talk a little bit about how that works in the program and what role it plays? Yeah, actually, it was interesting because we turned on the recording and just let them start to talk. And it could have come across as negative, but I think really it was just them being honest about what technology has been like for their relationships, for the friends that they're around. Some of them were college students, and they talked about what technology looks like being in college with roommates a lot of social media. They talked about social media. And so they really just encouraged people getting their first smartphones, not to let it take over your life, but to use it responsibly. And I think it was a great interview. It was just a really raw interview. It sounds really great to me because, you know, I know it's always been true that the young generation says to their parents or grandparents' generation, you don't know what it's like for me now, right? You don't know what it's like for me. But it's really, really true now when it comes to technology that even a 10-year-old, you know, a 25-year-old doesn't know what it's like for them. Certainly their parents don't know what it's like to be in college as an 18-year-old today with how technology works. So it sounds, you know, it, it, it is a really new historical situation we're dealing with that the older generation has some real significant limitations in how they can help guide 
you know, the next generation through life based on what their own experiences were like growing up just because of the huge disconnect between the two. There's a really big gap. And I think that the way to fill that gap is to have space to talk and to communicate through Mm -hmm. this season. Talk about it as a season. I mean, are you talking about this season being different stages of of growing up or this season where we are culturally or as humanity with technology? In that reference, I meant this season culturally because I Mm -hmm. think we are all at a place where we have seen the boom hit and everybody's a little bit at a loss as to what to do, whether it has to do with keeping our kids safe online or how much time we spend on technology or regulation and government and technology. Mm -hmm. I think we're all just really at that place where, wow, we didn't see this coming as fast as it did. And, you know, we've heard reports of people walking down the street and tripping into cars and they're trying to Mm -hmm. paint, you know, the side of the road colors because everybody's looking down. And so I think culturally we're trying to figure out what this season looks like and what, where do we go from here and how to, we use the hashtag on our social media a lot, hashtag tech responsibly. And I think that's what we're trying to figure out. What does this look like to enhance our lives, but also to remain human? I wonder if there's anything that we haven't talked about uh, that you'd like to say to parents or to children or to teachers, you know, some particular guidance, you know, that you think is particularly important that you'd like to leave them with. Yeah, I I really think, and I say this to a lot, I say this to myself a lot, first of all, mm. and I say it to a lot of the families, the parents and the kids that I work with. It is to learn to listen to yourself and to trust yourself because I think there's so much out there, so much information out there that we're absorbing and that we're able to absorb and we can learn from it, but we're forgetting to ask ourselves first. We're forgetting to silence ourselves and to listen and to really trust our own instincts in whatever situation it is. Whether, I mean, I had a conversation with a mom the other day that was looking for a monitor that goes inside the Snapchat because her kid's getting his first Snapchat and she wants to monitor that. We just talked and talked about in that situation what it looks like to really trust your kid and the conversations that you need to have with them, but then also to not be oblivious and to just leave Mm -hmm. them to whatever is out there. There are definitely apps out there that can help us, but it does take a lot of intervention. It takes a lot of initiating with our kids. It takes a lot of space and just trusting each other and ourselves. I recently just wrote about my son going to his first camp, overnight camp, and he was so nervous to go. He's only Mm -hmm. 10. And it was just a short weekend camp. But I heard the first night the administrator called and they said, he's having a hard time. We just want to let you know, just be patient. He'll be okay. But we want to let you know he's really having a hard time being away from you guys and being at camp by himself. But we've got some great counselors and he's going to be okay. And the first thing I did was I Googled codependent children. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I read all the things you could read about everything I was doing wrong. I wasn't reading the right articles, obviously, because I would (laughs) have felt more equipped if I was reading the right things. But realized uh, it was so hard for me to just wait, to do what she actually said to do and wait and trust. And when he got home, I got to sit with him and give him space to just talk about his experience. And he was just really practical and really wise. And he said, Mom, I just got done with school. 
And mm-hmm. my best friend is moving away. And it was hard for me to go straight into a weekend of camp and be away from you guys. And I think being away from my friends I just made at camp is hard for me now. And mm-hmm. so it's hard for me to jump from people to people, you know, and just listening to him and understanding him more rather than, you know, going to Google first mm-hmm. was a life lesson for me too. So I say that to a lot of us that are dealing with this, um, to not be so fearful and, you know, just so on edge about what's happening in technology, but also to not be oblivious about it. Because we've heard from a lot of kids that have said, we feel very alone in this. Mm. Our parents don't understand it. Our grandparents sure don't understand it. Mm. And we feel very alone because there's a lot out there that we shouldn't see or we shouldn't be uh, participating in. Or there's a lot of fear out there. And so I think the way to bridge that gap is through communication. And it's Mm -hmm. through connecting with the people in our lives. And it's such a great reminder. My hat's off to you, you know, for knowing that one of the ways to communicate, and we often forget it, here I am on a podcast talking a lot, one half of communicating is listening, <laughs> right? So, it is. <laughs> so true. You know, and that's what you did with your son. And hats off to, to him and to you for raising him, obviously, I, when I for being in, able enough to be insightful into himself and understand his own feelings and motives. You know, I was really taken by that when you said to me uh, how he described his own experience. You know, that that's right. really uh, skillful as a young person to to know what he was feeling and to have some insight into into why and then to be able to express it to you. You know, that right. that's all really, uh, really inspiring. Thank you. You're welcome. And then the last thing I'd like uh, to leave you with is opportunity to let people know how they can get in touch with you, find out more about you and the work that you're doing with Smartphone Ed and with um, Talk More Tech Less and everything else that you're doing. Yeah. So everything is on our website, talkmoretechless.com. And we have products there for families or individuals. And then a lot of our activity happens on Instagram. So we have a Talk More Tech Less Instagram account. And then we also have Facebook and that's where we can keep in touch. We do a lot of the connections with some of our families there and then announcements about any of our school presentations. Fantastic. Thanks so much. I'm sure people will be, uh, will be reaching out to you. And thanks, Don, for being on the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. I, I really, really enjoyed speaking with you and listening. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Bye now. <laughs> Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining us for this Technology for Mindfulness podcast with me, Robert Plotkin, and today's guest, Don Weibel from Talk More, Tech Less. Don and her organization are committed to the deeper work of communication through courses and products to help people to talk more in a digital age. You can find out more about Dawn at talkmoretechless.com. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe, rate and review us, and share the episode with your friends. And don't forget to also check out our blog at technologyformindfulness.com for information and all the latest tips about science, technology, and mindfulness. And find out more about our Tap Into Mindfulness course for helping you to take control of your smartphone at tapintomindfulness.com. I'm Robert Plotkin, and I'll join you next time on the Technology for Mindfulness podcast with coach and Forbes contributor, Caroline Castrigan.